What's going to happen is I'm going to give you like a little mini sermon uh, on the Holy Spirit, His role, and particularly how He equips for those of us who know Jesus. Um, I want to make it very clear, I'm not going to cover everything this morning. Um, because after I sort of give this little talk, we're actually going to go to a little bit of panel. Uh, we're going to be discussing some of the questions that you sent uh, to us uh, during the week, in the last couple of weeks, and we're going to do the best to cover all of them. But I'm going to be quite deliberate in actually, hopefully, causing you to question more. Because out of this morning, our heart is, as a leadership, is that your hearts are stirred through His Word, through His Spirit, to make you kind of go, okay, well, am I using my gifts? Do I know my gifts? Uh, am I using what God wants me to do with these gifts? So, uh, but to kind of set the scene for us, if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so you can turn, slide, press, however you want to read your Bible version. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of these up here at the front. Uh, there are gifts to you. You can grab them, take as many as you want. Uh, we'd love for you to get into God's Word. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 1. So the guy who's writing is, is a guy called Paul. He's a, a pastor, a church planner. He's also known as an apostle because he writes different a- a- scriptures. Um, and we're going to actually get to know Paul and how he comes to know Jesus in the book of Acts uh, as we uh, go later on in our series. But this is Paul writing it. And he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your truth. And pray this morning as we uh, engage with this passage briefly that you would stir in us what your heart is when it comes to spiritual gifts. I pray this in your name. Now, uh, I'm not sure what your view of spiritual gifts is. I don't know if you even think about it. Um, some of us are really excited about spiritual gifts. We, we want to find out how God has gifted us and we want to use those gifts for God's glory. Some of us, eh, not too fussed. It's one of those things that's in the Bible. Some of us are hoping that we can actually get into the really meaty stuff, those gifts that's controversial, the gifts that everyone really wants to know about but scared to talk about, particularly the, the kind of really hardcore, what's known as supernatural gifts. But in this short few minutes, what I want to do is I want to make it very clear, like I said, I'm not going to cover everything. But hopefully it will stir your heart through his word to consider to you, for you to seek out your own spiritual gift and ask the question, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Are you also using your spiritual gift for God's glory? And also ultimately land on what our purpose, what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Now, for those of you who don't know Jesus, I just want to make it very clear, spiritual gifts are for those who know Jesus. This is one of the most significant things that's quite different from any other religion that's out there. See, spiritual gift is a gift from God. And it's used not actually selfishly, it's actually used uh, outwardly. And that's very different from anything else that you'll find in any other religions. 
because Jesus is the one who's made it possible. He went, came to this world. We're going to talk about it in Easter. He came to this world. He died for you and for me. He was raised again on the third day. And then he said, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit who will come and live in you and he will use you as my witness in this world that is broken. And not only that, he will empower you to use the gifts that I give you to build the church and to be a witness wherever God has placed you. And so in the first few verses we just heard, Paul makes this statement. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, The guy, Paul, he's writing to a particular church, a church in Corinth. Now this church was quite crazy and wild. They had a lot of issues going on in the church. You can read about it in Corinthians. One of the things is they often were quite ignorant because I think ultimately they were totally focused on themselves. And in particular, in this moment, Paul is saying to him, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And I think that is applicable even for today, this morning. Uh, Particularly for those of us who've grown up in conservative church circles, when we think about spiritual gifts, some of us get a little bit nervous. We we wonder where this is going to head. But see, the Bible says very clearly, don't be ignorant about it. Be aware of it. Do you know what they're for? Some of us think about spiritual gifts and we go all the way to the one side and we focus on particular type of gifts and that's all we focus on. But in a few minutes we'll show why God ha- how God has designed spiritual gifts, what the purpose of it is. So firstly, what are spiritual gifts? I want to make it, define it for you. Well, the idea is spiritual, meaning that they're actually not based on talent or personality. It's actually something coming from, not from within yourself. It is actually from God. That is the idea of being spiritual. In particular, it comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the one who comes and he's the one who lives in you. Then he's the one who empowers. It's the same idea that when the Holy Spirit stirs in you and makes come alive the realities of the gospel and you go, oh, I need to turn to Jesus. It's the same kind of idea. It is something that is only possible by God. It is why it's called spiritual. And the idea of gift. Um, gift, we are, all know what gifts are. We get that all the time, particularly in Christmas. But this idea of gift is to say hey, it's, it's a grace gift is another way they use it. It's, it's the term we hear sometimes in some circles called charismatic or charisma. This is the idea that God is the one who gives this gift so graciously and lovingly. It's nothing that you and I have achieved or nothing you and I have done on our own strength and ability. It is God who says, here, through my spirit, I'm giving you this gift. And the idea is to to stir in us, to empower every follower of Jesus to serve the church that they're part of and ultimately carry out his ultimate, most glorious, wonderful plan, and that is to draw people to himself. And it's a gracious gift with a purpose. So what is this purpose? What is this idea? Well, you see that in verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. One of my personal uh, thinking is that when it comes to spiritual gifts, and particularly the idea of a spiritual gift, is to ultimately to display and proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what I think is a great purpose of a spiritual gift. And what do I mean by that? Uh, you'll read other passages in, uh, in the Bible about spiritual gifts, and one of these is the gift of hospitality. So if someone who has the gift of hospitality, they, through the power of the Holy Spirit who empowers them to use this gift, they are moved to be hospitable to someone, both to Christians and non-Christians, and they display the love of Jesus. As they're doing that, they're actually displaying that Jesus is the Lord of their lives. 
And as they do that and use that gift, they're also showing Jesus the Lord of everything. And they're displaying this beautiful reality of Jesus' lordship is being displayed as they use that gift. An example might be the gift of encouragement. Someone who's supernaturally gifted through the Holy Spirit encourage others. That means they are spurred because of their love of Jesus to go alongside someone, whether if someone's going through joyful time or a hardship kind of time. They come along them and they display the lordship of Jesus by using their gift and they're saying, hey, Jesus is the Lord of this situation that you're in. Let me encourage you. Let me remind you of these truths. And because of time, I mean, I could go on. Now, this is why it's so different from skills and personalities and talents. Because all those things are are applicable, but they're all usually dependent on us. This idea of spiritual gifts is not actually from us. It's from God, and it's for His glory. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us. Jesus is the one who makes this possible, this idea of grace, but the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and empowers us to live for Jesus, to serve, to build his church, and to serve others. So how is this truth applied? Well, you see in verses 4 to 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in all, in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of Spirit for the common good. So, If you are a follower of Jesus, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, the idea of you and I using our gifts is to ultimately show the lordship of Jesus in our own lives, the lordship of Jesus in every situation, and to bear that as we use those gifts. And ultimately, we need to realize gifts, there's a variety of gifts that the Holy Spirit hands out, who graciously gives. Now, if you want to know what those gifts are, well, you can read it, obviously. Uh, you read it later on in 1 Corinthians 12, but there are other passages. You can read it in Romans 12. You can read it from 1 Corinthians 12 to 1 Corinthians 14. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. These are some of the passages that are out there that talk about these gifts. But I want you to know that they're not necessarily an exhaustive list. But at the heart of it, they show you what the gifts are for, how you use them. And I think particularly the guys who are writing these letters are actually addressing a church. So the context is often, when they mention those gifts, is based on that church, I think. What I love about this passage is it talks about the varieties of gifts. And I love that. And I'll tell you why I love that. Now, I love AFL footy. I, I, I think there's the greatest team in the world is the Hawthorne Football Club. And I think that one of the most awesome things I love to watch is a particular player. His name is Cyril Rioli. Every time he gets to footy, I get really excited and I'm pumped and I'm cheering him on, screaming at the TV screen or if I'm on the, on, at the ground, cheering him on. But imagine if he was the only player on that team. I don't think he could ever win a match. But see, in the AFL, they have different members, different players, different positions, and they're all on the ground. But for an AFL team to succeed and work well, there are also people in the background. There's coaches. There's there's people helping them with their fitness and health. There are people who are making banners. There are people all around, everyone using their talents to ultimately serve this one purpose, to make their team successful. Now, that's an earthly idea there. But see, I don't know if you realize, when a church community loves Jesus, when everyone is using their gifts, 
as the Holy Spirit has empowered them, it is a wonderful witness to the world that we live in. It's a wonderful witness to the world we live in because there's nothing like they've ever seen. Because when a church is using their gifts as God has empowered them and everyone's involved with a variety of gifts being used, what's being displayed is ultimately it's not about themselves. It is about God and his glory. And it's nothing like what is in this world. And it becomes a glorious witness. I mean, how boring would it be if a church community was all gifted around one particular gift? I think we miss the richness and the beauty and the glory of how God has designed it. So, the Holy Spirit, he comes in, he lives in a Christian life and he empowers them, but he also displays a variety of gifts to a church community. But remember where that one source is, and you see that in these verses. There is only one Lord. There's a variety of gifts there's one variety of empowerments, there's a variety of ways as it's displayed out, but ultimately the source, the one source is God through his Holy Spirit. And that is always for one purpose. Well, what is that purpose? You see in verse 7, to each given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, at the heart of every gift, the heart of the using of these gifts is actually not for ourselves, it's for the common good for the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ and also for the common good of the body of Christ. And this strips away anything about spiritual gifts. Often I think when we think about spiritual gifts, we come from our perspective. It's about me. This forces us to go, it's not about you or me. It's about God's glory and for the common good of his church for his purposes. And actually much more than about Canterbury Gardens Community Church. See, in this church that Paul is writing to, they were all about themselves, often. And Paul is reminding them it's for the common good that God gifts his church. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, his Holy Spirit lives in you. And not only that, he has gifted you. He's spiritually gifted you, graciously gifted you. And it's not based on your talent and personality. And some of those things come into play, but that's not what it's ultimately about. It is a supernatural empowerment through his spirit to serve Jesus, to bring the lordship of Jesus in your life and to display it out and ultimately bring it for his glory and for the common good of the church that God has placed you in. So to wrap up, do you know your spiritual gift? Are you currently using it? If you do know, have you retired from using your spiritual gift? Because if God has still given you lungs and your breath, can I encourage you, spare you on, use it. When you look at some of these lists, or maybe you may see others using their gifts, do you have a gift envy? And think, oh, I wish I had that gift. Friends, as the Holy Spirit empowers you, he wills, he chooses It is the Holy Spirit who gives as he pleases for the common good. Finally, if you don't know anything about spirit gifts, the best place to start is in the Bible. I know that's the thing to say in a Christian church, but we truly believe it. We would encourage you, and you will see that in the book of Acts. Read about it. Now, it's not exhaustive, but read about it. Another way to do it is that's why we as your pastors and elders want to serve you. We'd love to catch up for a coffee, encourage you to how to use your gift. We'd love to come to your small group 
and maybe uh, workshop with you what are the giftings that God has given you. Anyway, we want to serve you. We would also encourage you to do that. If you see other people using their gifts, can I encourage you to go up to them and say, I love that you use your gift. That's another way to encourage. There's another way for a person to go, oh, okay, that's how God has gifted me. Another thing, yes, there's surveys out there you can use. Just keep in mind that the surveys aren't the Holy Spirit. So when you do them, be aware of that. They're helpful, but just be aware of that. I've got some good ones I would suggest because there's some really crazy ones out there. But come and talk to me if you want to do something like that. Friends, I want you to know as we use our gifts, both the Lordship of Jesus is being displayed, both in your lives and as you display that out to others. As you use your gifts for the common good, his church is being built. And then we become witnesses for the people around us, for those who don't know Jesus and also for those who do. So use your gifts. Discover your gifts and use it for the glory of God. Let me pray. As I pray now, I just want you to pause for a moment and maybe ask these questions to Jesus. Lord Jesus, what is my spiritual gift? Am I currently using it for your purpose or is it for my own purposes? Help me to seek them out. Jesus, we pray that you would spare us on. Holy Spirit, I pray that as you gift us all individually for the common good, may we be a church that use all our gifts for the glory of Christ to make him known so that you would be glorified in the midst of it all. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to have a bit of a panel right now, which means it's going to be, you know, if, if you're going to just pretend us, we're at a cafe, some really awesome coffee is about to be poured, made out of Nescafe, um, and we're going to hang out and talk. Um, if you have an issue about your back of your head's being recorded for whatever reason, just maybe move from uh, Mark's side, and these guys here, smile a lot, and nod, because your angle's over there, and so pretend you, you know, it sounds good. Um, so we're going to do this. Paul's going to be the MC. I'm going to move this out of the way so you guys can see. Coming on, coming on, coming on. It's on. Great. Yours on, John? Uh, I think it's, it is. Yes, it's good. It's good. Ready to go. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, as... Just mentioned then, my name is Paul Lewis. I'm an elder here and also a member of the teaching team. And uh, it's my privilege to chair a panel session this morning. It is a privilege because I can ask as many curly questions as I can within the allocated time frame and not have to answer a single one of them. <laughs> That's to the gentleman on my left. <laughs> And the ones who will be attempting to answer and these And the gentleman are... on my right. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. Um, we've got Nathan Potts here, um, who's obviously one pastor here at this church. We've got Shabu John you've already heard from, um, and we've got John Ramson as well. John missed the memo about pastors wearing shirts, um, but he's still employed despite that, despite that lapse in concentration. Um, so these guys have got some great um, experience from a, a ministry perspective and also some great... Um, training as well to be able to answer some of the questions that we've got. And we've got a mix of questions, okay? So some of these questions will be general questions um, about the role of the Holy Spirit, um, what we see in the book of Acts, why it's relevant to us, how it impacts on our ministry. And then other questions will be a selection of questions that have come through from the congregation. Um, there were quite a few which came through, which is great. It's good to see people 
participating in it, um, but we've just had to summarise and pick the best of. So um, if, if your question pops up on the screen, you're allowed to do it. Yes, it means you made the cut. Um, but there was only a few that we'll have time to work through. Um, so the rest of the questions, we'll endeavour to get back to you if we don't through the course of the panel anyway. Um, and if you really, if you, it was really strongly in your heart and you want an answer, you can always chat to these guys afterwards as well. And Paul. Should, yeah. Um, Excellent. Okay, now the first one is, I thought it would be good to have a bit of a summary question at the moment uh, to start with, because there are different views on, on the role of the Holy Spirit and um, whether it's how active it is today, um, as opposed to what we see in the Old Testament. So I thought, Shabu, since you're all warmed up from having spoken already, maybe we could open with you in terms of describing in simple terms if you could just categorize some of the mainstream views about the role of the Holy Spirit. Sure. Um, so the Holy Spirit, where, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should, and um, everyone believes in the Holy Spirit. But there are, I guess, what they call uh, different camps or tribes um, on how he, his working is played out. So uh, there are crews, uh, a group called the cessationists. Um, these are individuals who believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit but how he um, uses gifts in particular, particularly gifts like tongues and prophecies and so on, they've ceased. Um, that's the one view. The other one is the continuous uh, uh, tribe, and the continuous tribe believes in that the Holy Spirit is there, but he also, the gifts, and particularly those gifts like tongues and prophecies and so on, uh, continue. And amongst that, there's another group called uh, the, the Pentecostal movement or the church, which go a little bit further on particular doctrines of the Holy Spirit. Um, and they add some extra things as well to it. Such as? Uh, okay. So, um, now, friends, I'll, I'll, because this is being recorded and things, this is not an opportunity for us to bag out a particular denomination, okay? So, just want you to be aware. So, some Pentecostal movements, some of my Pentecostal friends would believe that, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, the Holy Spirit comes, but now you need to have a second experience of the Holy Spirit, and that's displayed in a particular way where you have an experience in speaking in tongues. Uh, and some of them may even add that if you don't have that experience, you're actually not a Christian, uh, where we as a church wouldn't believe that. Um, we believe that once you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, and then as he wills, he gifts you. So that's what I would say. And, and you've sort of bridged into where I was thinking next in terms of saying, okay, if these are the categories um, of people and where they theologically sit on the role of the Holy Spirit, then, Nathan, maybe did you want to explain as a church, a lot of people might be thinking, particularly those which haven't been here very long, well, where does Canterbury Gardens sit on these issues? Yeah, I think um, Canterbury Gardens uh, attempts to hold uh, our view of the, the Spirit in tension. We, uh, we believe that, as Shabu has spoken, that the gifts are primarily and solely for the edification of the church. That's the way the Spirit has worked. He, he gives each individual at the point of conversion maybe multiple gifts, but they're not gifts for personal edification. They're gifts to be displayed in the life and the body of the church. So we, um, we do hold in tension uh, the spiritual gifts. We know we have multiple backgrounds inside this church. Uh, we have those who believe that some of the gifts have ceased with the apostles, and we respect that. We also uh, realize that some believe that uh, glossia, speaking in tongues, may also be a private prayer language. 
we, we hold that intention. If that's a personal gift you believe is um, part of your private prayer language, then that's okay. But it won't be expressed in a corporate worship sense inside uh, Canterbury Gardens. And uh, clearly, as, as Shabu stated also, with some of the uh, more supernatural types of gifting, uh, we would, uh, as a church body, we would say, uh, from that perspective, that those things were for the birth of the church as a sign for the church that God was moving. And there's no way in the world that they should be actually added to the gospel as a sign gift. You know, uh, salvation is by faith alone through um, Christ alone, through grace alone. And uh, there is no, nothing else that is added uh, to salvation. So that, that's, I guess, we would say. Would that be fair, guys, you reckon? Is yeah. that a fair representation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and like for us as well, we've talked about this before, is that um, if you have a particular leaning towards uh, a particular view of gifts, particularly the supernatural things, as Nathan said, we hold an intention in our corporate worship um, that means that if you say that you believe that you have the gift of tongues, we would ask you to pray that quietly to yourself. Um, if you believe in the gift of prophecy in particular, um, we believe in the, an elder-driven church, so that means as shepherds of this church, we are the ones who um, sort of oversee and look after particularly uh, of truth and doctrine. And so if you feel like you have those sort of God's laid something on your heart, well, you need to come and chat to one of the elders we test it out. Um, but we also want to make it very clear is that we do not want this kind of uh, view, whatever camp you're in, to become a dividing um, theology. Uh, this is why, by God's grace, somehow we are holding this intention and we're well aware that you may have a different view. Mm-hmm. But either anyone steps in and goes, oh, we're going to create a tribe, sort of one versus the other, we're going to either position you, or we're going to kind of shut that down very quickly. It's for the unity of the body of Christ. I'm saying that unity uh, is the most important thing here and I have always been pleased in this place that we've been able to have open conversation about those types of things, which is part of the reason for this too. Because at the end of this, what may well happen is that some of you might say, well, I'm not really quite sure if I agree with that. You know what, that's actually okay. Uh, and it's not that everything should be accepted. This is something else we also need to be understanding too, that not everything needs to be accepted. Uh, but the main thing that we, we need to be unified in is salvation. And what is salvation and what causes salvation? Who is Jesus as well? Because there are other things that we will always disagree about. There are uh, many, many great theologians, incredible theologians, who disagree with each other. And I think that's probably why God is God uh, as well, that he does know all these things. But to be unified is most important. That's why we need to discuss things uh, well, so that Satan doesn't have his way and there are splits all over the place. And before you know it, you have a disaster on your hands. So... There's some great responses. I think people, a lot of, some people might or may not be aware that uh, when you sign up as members at Canterbury Gardens here, we have a statement of faith, um, and part of that process is saying that, yes, I agree by the statement of faith. And so I thought it would be interesting to put up on the slide for a second, sort of awkwardly behind a few of our panel members. Um, Yeah, it'd be good if it was on the TV up there, if that's possible as well. Uh, This is what our statement of faith actually says about the Holy Spirit. So this is effectively what members of Canterbury have, called, have been asked to ascribe to um, in signing up here. I thought maybe, Nathan, did you want to talk us through, there's a lot of words there, a lot of Christianese. I might just read it out um, for the recording as well. It says, we believe that the Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son. His ministry is to glorify Christ, convict people of sin, righteousness and judgment, regenerate the believing sinner 
and at that point of conversion baptize all who believe into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit then indwells, guides, instructs, sovereignly gifts Christians for the good of the church and empowers the believer for godly living. Now we've talked a bit about different views. I think that's and it, that's a good summary of the role of the Holy Spirit, but there's a lot of, obviously, Christianese, if you like, in that statement. Maybe, Nathan, in everyday terms, did you want to try and summarise for people what that says to us in terms of the role of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's, that's no problems to summarise. I'll just read it again. Uh, <laughs> everyday terms. Yeah, the everyday there. terms, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Essentially, Shabu talked about this last week. Uh, the Holy Spirit is part of the divine Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit. They're all, in essence, equal. But each role, each part of the Godhead has different functions and the Spirit has different functions. And this is what this here is uh, attempting to convey, that the primary role of the Spirit in our lives is, before we come to know the Lord, is to convict us of our sin. As to say, we have a need to understand who Jesus is, what he has done. He points always to Jesus. The Spirit always is pointing to Jesus and his work and his role on our behalf, primarily for the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, which atones or actually sets us free from sin if we believe in that. So that's what the, I guess the, the first three quarters of that statement is about. It's about the Spirit pointing to Jesus in his role and... Um, you know, convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment out of uh, John chapter seven. Uh, John chapter in John somewhere. Mm. Well, I lost it. Oh, let me just Google it because I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's no, okay. Um, I had it there. John sixteen. John sixteen talks about that verses seven to eleven. Okay, and then the second part is actually what the Spirit does post conversion. So once you're saved, what does the Spirit do? It indwells. So the Spirit resides in us, and we, we're strong in the fact that that can never be taken away. Once you're saved, you are always saved, because the Spirit indwells you. Yeah, sure, you can start grieving the Spirit by being disobedient, by um, going after the, the fleshly things, but the Spirit always is, in, is part of you because that's what happens at conversion. It guides, it teaches, he guides, he teaches, he instructs. You know, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. As we read the Word of God, the Spirit of God rips our hearts open and says, hey, you need to deal with this stuff. You need to be obedient to this. That's the work of the Spirit. Always pointing to Christ through the Word of the God. It's not some experience. It's the Spirit using what God has revealed through his word to convict, etc. Nathan, in the last six months, I was uh, speaking to a, a man who uh, hadn't been a, a Christian but was looking at those things. And when he uh, turned to Christ, uh, there was a particular passage that Nathan had actually uh, spoken to him about. And he, he said to his wife, am I stupid or something rather? Suddenly this whole thing was opened up to him and he understood it. And it's the Holy Spirit that actually brings the Word of God alive to us. I think it's an example there. I think that's a good distinction there between um, the Spirit's role in convicting us of sin and then the Spirit's role um, as we walk Christian lives. Um, this is obviously the statement of faith. It's part of our... Um, that's obviously just one aspect of it. There's lots of different theologies which are touched on our statement of faith. 
Um, it's different from a separate statement we have, which is actually our vision statement, which also refers to the Holy Spirit. It's there in boring font. It's there in more creative font. Um, both are sane, except I think I've said his instead of God's. Um, there's a reference there in terms of being transformed by the Spirit. Now, Shabs, did you maybe want to talk us through your take on why that's in our vision statement and what that role of being transformed by the Holy Spirit is? Sure. Um, so as, as followers of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, uh, he doesn't just come and sit there and sort of chill out until you get to heaven. Uh, what he's doing is he's starting to change us inside. Uh, that's spiritual language. So that idea of transforming is that we can try to be good Christians by doing all the good stuff, but the Holy Spirit is in, involved in re, uh, much more deeper work, and that work is in our hearts. And so he's transforming. Uh, there's language that they use where he comes in and applies the truth of the gospel and says, hey, now, um, because Jesus just purchased you, you're a son, a daughter of the Most High God, and then he continues that work and goes, hey, um, now the things that you thought were important, things that you love, I'm going to change your heart to go, hey, you don't, that's not for you. This, you your heart starts wanting things of Jesus and you start changing, you start um, becoming ultimately more like Jesus. That's the whole goal. That's the idea of being transformed by the Spirit. Yeah, you know, first transformation really happened when we uh, came to Christ uh, and then there's this continuous transformation that happens, which is really part of our uh, sanctification, which is Jesus making us more like him uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit uh, as our lives uh, continue on uh, in him. And it's brought about by the Spirit. And the, the Spirit continues to, to guide and to teach us and to comfort us, uh, but particularly, as Nathan's mentioned, to convict us of our sin. John 16:8 tells us, And when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness uh, and judgment. And when in obedience we uh, respond to this teaching, this, uh, this leading and this comfort and particularly uh, our response to being convicted by, uh, of our sin, we res- when we respond in obedience to these things, we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit at that time. He is convicting us, we are responding to that and as a result our lives are being transformed. And the result of being transformed is basically that we start to display the fruit of the Spirit. That's one of the ways we can see that we've been transformed by, you know, the things we see in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So this is a continuous process of being transformed by the Spirit. Could I just make a comment on that also? Just realise also, this is something we often forget, the fruit of the Spirit. What happens with fruit? It grows and matures. Fruit starts as a pip or as a bud or as as a small apple but it grows and matures. And that's when you think about the fruit of the Spirit, that's what the Spirit does for us. It, it grows and matures us into godliness, into Christ-likeness. There's another thing that theologians talk about, and it's a, a term called illumination. Mm. And it's a, it's a term we often don't use these days. But in Scripture, you clearly see that illumination is a continuous process. As we read God's Word, it's illuminated by the Spirit to prune away the stuff in our lives that needs to be pruned away for God's glory. So I think that's what's reflected in that statement. Yeah. And Shabs, I've got one more question before we um, move to the congregational one. And I'll throw it to you because you, you just have um, spoken for 10 minutes or so on spiritual gifts. I need um, to speak more. <laughs> so you can continue speaking Sweet. for another 10 seconds or so. No. Um, if all People might be thinking, if we all receive the same Holy Spirit then why are there so many different spiritual gifts? Shouldn't we all be gifted in in the same way in all these things if we receive the same Holy Spirit? Yep. 
glad you listened to my sermon. Um, no, <laughs> one of the things uh, we as Christians um, believe it, as the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us, um, he does a variety. And God is the one who chooses. That's the, a language, right? And ultimate goal is for the common good. Um, and when a church is gifted differently and everyone is gifted differently, what's going on is a display of God at work through a variety of means and peoples with the variety of gifts. Uh, and he does that on purpose, I think. Uh, because it's ultimately a reminder us that we live in a Christian community to love one another, serve one another, and love God. And in light of that, we use our gifts in a variety of ways. So I think that's why he does it. It's ultimately... I'm really thankful he does that too. That it does. I mean, we, we talk about being a body of Christ. I mean, uh, we're arms, we're legs, we're eyes, we're everything, and, and not all of us have got uh, the same gift. I mean, for example, if you put me in charge of administration, we'd all be going to another church in a few weeks' time because this place would close down. And so we need arms and legs and eyes to be able to do all of these things, and so we're gifted in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, also, thanks to reflection of the triunity of God. Hmm. You know, Father, Son, and Spirit, they are all one in essence, but they all have distinctly different roles mm. you know, that's manifest through the Spirit's work in their lives mm. that's a good point uh, like we're, we're spoiled I don't know whenever I talk to some friends of mine who are pastors who have their senior pastor role and so on but I'm, and they ask oh, how does it work at your church and I say well we've got three pastors and they're like how does that work I, like, I don't know like it is God's gracious gift <laughs> but, but, I don't know either <laughs> I know that I know that work, John? <laughs> in the triune maybe I don't know <laughs> Okay. No cut that out. Cut that out. Yeah. Thanks. Cut that perspective, very strategic, intentional yeah. decision. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I love is when we're in a, for example, when we're hanging out together and we're talking about what's going on in the church, mm. and uh, there are moments where I'm like, oh, we need to do this, and this sort of um, the way God's wired me. And Nathan will go, well, let's think, let's think through what the Bible says about that, and, and challenges us on that, and think that through. And you know, myself will go, well, we, we just need. To go hard on it. And John's like, well, let's come alongside them and encourage them and take our time. And what's going on is God is at work and using all our different gifts to work together for the glory of God. And we pray for that for Canterbury Gardens. I've been totally blessed by working with these guys. For example, when I uh, preach, I struggle with that quite often. Uh, and quite often one of the things I'll do is sit with Nathan for half an hour and say, Nathan, talk to me about this passage. And so he will go through that with me. He'll ask me questions. We ask questions of each other. When it comes to something else, Nathan will say, hey, John, what do you think about X? And this is a, a small version of what's meant to happen within the body of Christ here completely at Canterbury Gardens. Not one of us is the person. All of us have a part to play. It's so, so important that we're encouraged by you and hopefully you're encouraged by us as well. Now, I'd move on and start some of the congregational questions that have come through. Mm. Uh, I've got them up on the overhead as well. John, maybe if you want to have a, just give us some reflections on the first one. How can we be sure yeah. that we have received the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I did a bit of thinking about this one. I sort of came up with um, two elements of this, how we sure that we have the Holy Spirit. And one of them, it's interesting when we say how we sure, one of them is involving faith. Isn't that interesting that I'm talking about uh, to be sure... Irish, to be sure, but to be sure, no, it's another thing. Just keep going. One is, yeah, okay. One of the elements is faith, and the other element that I was thinking about is the evidence that comes too, which is something we've already uh, mentioned. Uh, when you become a Christian, it's unlikely, uh, like in Acts, that you, there's likely to be the sound of rushing wind and, the, and that tongues of fire will hover over you and the, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and all sorts of uh, things will happen at that point. That's uh, unlikely to happen. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13, 14 teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation who, for those who believe. 
It's a thing that God puts his seal on and you belong uh, to me. And this happens, as we mentioned before, uh, at the time uh, of believing in Christ. Um, at the moment we believe in Jesus, we receive uh, this gift of the Holy Spirit. And this happens, we trust God that that's happened. Why do we trust him? Because we believe that his word is true. So when we say, uh, how do we know for sure, there's that faith element that happens there. We know the Bible tells us that when we believe, we have received the Holy Spirit because there were no tongues of fire. There was no sound like a rushing wind, but we believe in faith. The second side of it is the evidence. And how do we know? People will start to say, or we'll start to see in ourselves these gifts, sorry, these fruits of the Holy Spirit that we mentioned in uh, Galatians 5 as well. And this is evidence of what's going on that we have actually received the Holy Spirit because he is changing our lives and we are being transformed. Yeah, for instance, evidence. I never used to like Australians, and now I love them. Yeah. So the work the of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit and, yeah. is, is working through I'm me. still working on Indians and New Zealanders. <laughs> Why do you get all racial all of a sudden? I mean, it's going fine. It's, it's getting recorded. Audio, John. Okay. It's going to go on our website. People are like, what kind of church is this? <laughs> but look, can I also encourage you, when we read passages like Galatians, and Nathan alluded to that, fruit takes time. Mm. And the Spirit of God is at work in, in your life. And whether you might think, oh man, I still struggle with this XX, God is actually at work. And sometimes it's good to take time out and re- reflect on what He has done. Um, and as the fruit works in you, um, as the, sorry, as the Holy Spirit works in you, He, he is changing you. That's what He's done. He you promises know. that. Great. Uh, it's a great summary from John there. I reckon that it's a, it's a promise through faith and then it's evidenced by the way we live. Um, next question is... What does it mean to then be filled with the Spirit? Mm. That's referred to um, a few different points in the New Testament. And so the question came through about, well, what does that mean? Is that something that happens once and then you're filled and that's it? Is it a constant filling? Is it filling at times depending on, um, depending on well, what God wants you to do? Uh, Nathan, maybe could you have some thoughts on what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Got a lot of notes there, man. I'm just, yeah. just getting my notes here. <laughs> so, so, okay, it's, uh, just towards the end. Do you have any thoughts? They might be briefer. <laughs> yeah, it could be briefer. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's right at the end, of course. You've got war and peace, not your notes, mate. I can say. We have this thing what? called an iPad, which. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I, I'm the old school. Remember the answer to this question. <laughs> it says the Spirit's work of filling. Uh, here we go. Well, look, I think in the Bible it, it talks um, being filled is a verb, both a verb and a noun. Okay. Uh, when it talks about when a verb is used, it's part of an empowering, it's part of uh, a ministry. It, it came upon a person uh, to perform a task. So, for instance, uh, John, Elizabeth, and Zacharias in the start of Luke, they were filled with the Spirit at the time of the incarnate, the time that Jesus was born, to see something special. It was a one off filling. And. Um, you know, to a degree, Acts 2, when the, the Spirit came upon and they were filled and, and they, the tongues of fire and, and etc. is a, a one-off enabling because what immediately happened was the gospel was proclaimed and 3,000 were saved. Hmm. And the second one is that it's a noun and it talks about being full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So I think it's, the, 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 it's a good thing to remember. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. When he returned, remember when he returned from uh, the Jordan and he was tempted? That was the first thing that Luke says. He was filled of the Holy Spirit. 
at his baptism. He was filled of the Holy Spirit. And um, so I think we need to, to be aware of that. Stephen, before he was martyred, was full of the Spirit. That's, the, that's what happens at conversion. We are full of the Spirit. And then at times, in special occasions, one after, we can be filled with the Spirit for a special task. Um, I don't know if that goes beyond the apostles. I'm not sure if that's an everyday occurrence. I'll throw that out there. But that's just the way I view Scripture. Okay, so I mean that's interesting. Sometimes it's used in the context of a verb in terms of an empowering, and other times it's descriptive of the person um, and where they stand before God. And in the same sort of vein then, um, New Testament letters will use language like worshipping in spirit and in truth and praying in the spirit. Uh, Shubs, do you have any thoughts in, in your own words about what it means to pray in the spirit, worship in the spirit, and do those sorts of things? Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that um, particularly for in Western culture, we tend to segment things. Um, when we become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in everything. Like He's involved in your everyday life. It's not like I just rely on him and I'm on Sundays at church or when I'm running small group or whatever. He's constantly. So that's that language there constantly about being filled, walking in the spirit, praying in the spirit. It's a daily relational kind of language. Uh, and what that means is that as we pray in the spirit, uh, it's to say that God is moving in us through his spirit, in the spirit to kind of stir in us and go, hey, I'm starting to now uh, hear what God's heartbeat is, if you want to use another kind of language. And that's what that in the spirit is. Um, that's what I would say. I don't know if you guys would add anything to that. I'm just thinking with um, praying. Uh, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the Bible, if you read, you might be thinking, well, I'm pray- I need to pray in the spirit, so do I wait until the spirit tells me something before I pray but it tells us to be quite practical too to pray uh, using our minds as well so there are certain things that we want to pray for that we know we want to pray for we do that but what I've come into the practice of doing and Florina and I do this at home is that we'll be still and we'll say to each other let's just pray as as the Lord leads us and we believe that it's the Holy Spirit that brings things to our mind that then we're able to pray about so it's not so much what you're saying as to how you're going about it, I think, uh, sometimes too. But it's very a good thing to be still and to listen and just to practice that and say, Lord, what do you want me to pray uh, today? Uh, and uh, that's a great help. I might, I might just keep us moving because we're running mm, yes. short on time. And I want to get through the next question in particular because I think it's an important one, um, which is the one we've just dealt with. And this one after that is, if the Holy Spirit gives us the power over sin, then why do we keep on sinning? Nathan, cut you in before. Would you like to answer this question? Uh, I think it's kind of a simple answer because of disobedience. I think we keep on sinning because uh, we allow our heart to be distracted by things other than what the Spirit is trying to develop in us, i.e. his fruit. So I think, uh, yeah, the, the, the sin issue we deal with until glorification so you know at one one point in time in our lives we're going to be released from that and that's when jesus comes back and glorifies us and that's that's a wonderful promise but until that point in time we live with australians and um, that causes me to sin um, so now just to I can hear it that reflects it in your own eyes. <laughs> So now, just to ask the question a little bit further, maybe, is um, for someone who's um, here at the moment and they are genuinely wanting to say no to their sin, um, but they still struggle, um, that that idea of now and not yet, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah. What does that look like in, in our daily life? If well, how do you think that looks? <laughs> oh, you've got the microphone. Do you want me to leave? <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I, I think you know, God provides provides the spirit to work in our lives. He provides the grace, and it becomes a dependence thing. Mm-hmm. It's what John talked about. It becomes a faith issue. And you know, we, we have the classic verse, um, one Corinthians ten thirteen. Uh, God, God is faithful and not allowed to be tempted above that which you are able, but will the, with the temptation provide a way of escape? Mm. How often do we look for the escape route? Mm. You know, sometimes we just choose the temptation because actually we quite like it mm. in our flesh. Mm. Even though the, the Spirit is renewing us day by day, we still have this war. Yep. And, and I, I think um, God has provided a way of escape and it is to actually look to him be totally dependent, see what the Spirit is doing to actually shape us through his word. That's the thing. It's not experience. It's through his word. It's actually being in his word to say, how does this shape me? The Apostle Paul had the same uh, problem. You look at um, Romans 7.15, and it's, a, it's a quite a, a long section. I'll just tell you part of it, but it just says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the thing I, I hate. In fact, in a, a song that was one of the plays we did this, it was that which I do, not, that which I would not, that do I do. I wish I wouldn't do it, but I'm already through. Basically, it's the same thing that Paul's talking about here. What he does, that, mate? He does it. Quite get that again. That which, I, that which I would not, that do I do. I wish I wouldn't do it, but I'm already through. And it's talking about sin is always going to be there, whether we're saved or not. It's always going to be there. The big difference is, though, as a Christian, it no longer has dominion over us. And so God provides the way out through Jesus and what he's done at the cross that we can come back and ask forgiveness. And this is the difference when it comes to this. But yes, we're going to continue to sin because this side of heaven, we can do nothing else. And I can't wait to the moment it, we can't. It's, it's a reminder that the Holy Spirit is working in us and as he transforms us, transforms us, we should be growing in hating the things of this world and our sin. Mm. Um, but there's that reality that we haven't been glorified in that. We don't have our new bodies or new spirit. We're not living in that reality because there's this war, there's this now and not yet. Um, and that's why in our heart of hearts, we desire to run after the things of this world in our own flesh. Mm. But as the Spirit continues, that's that idea of being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. Um, as we continue to grow in that, the things of this world will just seem ridiculous and we should grow in hating it. And that's why hindsight is important. That's why a community of um, believers is important because we encourage each other and go, hey, you know, I see this growth and you can I keep on spurring you on. Yeah. yeah I think there's, a, there's an old, old trans, English translation that takes Ephesians chapter 5, 18, which is the only command of the Bible about being filled with the Spirit, but it says, be yielded to the Spirit's control. Mm. I think that's wonderful. That's the issue. We've got to yield ourselves to the Spirit's control. Mm. Uh, last question from congregation I'll do quickly. Well, well, not the last question, last one for this morning. is: We celebrate the coming of Jesus, but not the coming of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Why? Well, yeah, I, I think in our tradition we don't. Um, I wouldn't say uh, not all Christians do. There are traditions that uh, actually practice that. So some of my evangelical Anglican friends and Presbyterian friends will practice it. That's, they have Pentecost, they call it. Um, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. So that's mm. part of their calendar. We don't. It's just not that we're like, no, we don't believe in the Holy Spirit, so we don't celebrate it. Uh, we're probably a little bit better that we celebrate the Holy Spirit all the time. Can I say that? <laughs> no. no, you can't. Yeah. Does that answer your question? No Anglicans are allowed to watch this video. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's probably more of a, just a 
church history thing. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Now, final thoughts then. Um, Maybe we'll just go through. If each of you have a take-home point then, in light of everything that we've talked about, um, what, do you, what would you say is a key take-home point to remember when they wrestle with this issue? Start with John. Yeah, start with mine because mine's not, a, not related to that question. <laughs> it's interesting. The take-home point for me when I was thinking about this is basically I'm absolutely smashed that the same Holy Spirit uh, that we talked about in the Old Testament and when the, you know, the, the priest would go once a year to, for a time into the Holy of Holies in the temple of God and he would do the sacrifice and then sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins uh, of the people... Paul now, in the scripture, calls now that we are the temple of God. Our body is the temple of God. And we have the same Holy Spirit, but the sacrifice has already been complete in what Jesus did at the cross in um, dying for us and forgiving and, and enabling us to have our sins forgiven. And I am just smashed that this same Holy Spirit lives within me and in and the body of believers. And if that's not a take-home point, I'll go he, basically. But now let's go to some other ones that are related to the questions. <laughs> um. So at the start, we talked about how there's different views of the Holy Spirit uh, in, our, in our church context. Yeah, I want you to know there are different views about how the Holy Spirit applies some of the truths in our leadership team. So mm. in our leadership mm. team, we have guys who may hold to a cessationist view, and we may have uh, people who hold to more of a charismatic view. And we've chosen to unite around Jesus and the gospel, and in light of that, love one another, serve one another, and jokingly have a bit of fun uh, on our disagreements. Um, and that's what we wanted to part of the take-home is that we want to model that to you. Um, we live in a world that constantly is against Christians in general. And I think Christians need to learn to stop fighting each other and learn to disagree on the things that are secondary and agree on the important stuff mm. and unite for the glory of Christ. So that's what we're doing. I'd like to just read the stuff from Second uh, Peter. Uh, it was like this, for me, sums it up a little bit. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Hmm. That's the outcome of the Spirit's work in your life. He gives you everything that pertains to life and godliness. I think we need to get a glimpse of that. That the comforter, the teacher, the convictor, the third person of the Godhead indwells us. That's incredible. He does not leave us alone. He consistently pursues us and shapes us until we reach glory. Now, that's just super encouraging. Well, I hope that's at least been some food for thought for you and maybe touched on a few issues which you, um, you might have been thinking about as we've journeyed through particularly the first couple of Acts, um, Day of Pentecost, and, and the Holy Spirit is a continual theme that will come through the book of Acts as we do it as a series as a church. So if there's other questions which you'd like answered, you know, come talk to us any time, and particularly as we go through the book of Acts, let's be mindful of this and let's always be asking ourselves what it means for us in practice as well. Maybe, John, do you want us to close in prayer? Yeah, I think um, we'll, we'll finish at this point. Uh, yeah. to, I, I think that's it. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, we are grateful uh, that you have uh, sent your Holy Spirit as a comforter, teacher, 
but particularly convicted, Lord God, that we might um, come to you continually and keep short account so that we might uh, stay close to you, Father. Uh, We thank you uh, that we have a God who is trustworthy, that his word is trustworthy. Uh, Father, that we can come, we can learn, and we can uh, live our lives as you would want us to do. Father, uh, we know we can't do that, though, without the help of your Holy Spirit living inside us. And we are grateful today. We thank you for the questions that have come, Father. We would pray that uh, not just that this is a knowledge thing, Lord God, but we might take and apply these things, that we might have learned something today that is so important in our own life as we seek to serve and worship and pray in the Spirit. Uh, So we give these things to you now uh, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just, just to be aware, uh, is that for the, some of you might be like, oh, my question wasn't answered. We will get to it. Um, just letting you know that um, some of these questions we will individually let you know, or we might even come into your small group. So as in the questions, we'll come back to the small group to discuss the small group. Oh, yeah. We're having a secular night. Secular night? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so, uh, How secular are you going to be? So there's coming up, uh, there's going to be a night sort of, uh, um, well not really service, more of a workshop talking about some of the current uh, issues that are going on in our our church culture and particularly in the world Um, and we're going to be dealing with that, how to respond in a Christ-like way but also how does the gospel apply when we live in a secular world. So things like the stuff with the safe schools, for example, that's going on, uh, things to do with um, same-sex marriage and... um, related topics like that. So we will be actually discussing it. Keep an eye out for the dates. It will be at a night uh, time on Sunday on a Sunday night. I yeah. think we've reached something in May, isn't it? It's going to be in May. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so. Keep your mind out for the day because it's a night. <laughs> Thinking about that one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good on you. Coffee, tea, somewhere over there. Um, any more questions, let us know.